Welcome to the ACC Podcast. We're honored that you took some time out of your day to listen to one of our weekly messages. We hope that these messages bring you closer to Jesus, strengthen your faith, and deepen your understanding about the Bible. If you're thinking of attending ACC, we're currently holding one service at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. You can visit our website for more information. That's anacortischristian.church. That's A-N-A-C-O-R-T-E-S Christian.church. You can also visit our website if you have any questions about ACC, like our core beliefs, where we are located, or if you'd like to get in contact with us. We would love to hear from you. So, whether you're sitting, driving, or exercising, thanks for tuning in. Let's dive into the Bible together. Well, I want to take you on a quick journey, if you don't mind. Let's talk history. As soon as I say that, the kids are going, are you kidding? He's going to talk about history. Yes, but I want to talk about your history for a moment, okay? Let's talk, and even something more fun than your own personal history, let's talk for a minute about the history of Christmas's past, okay? How many of you remember Christmas 2020 last year? And how many would like to forget that? <laughs> or maybe just the whole year? Okay. I, I thought probably everyone would remember Christmas 2020. Did we have any births during, uh, in the past year so that this will be some little precious baby's first Christmas? Just raise your hand if, if you know of one. I see one there. Okay, Ed. In your family, I presume, not you and Jeannie. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Okay. So this will be uh, many babies' first Christmas if they were born after last Christmas. Let's go back 10 years. Christmas 2011. Does that stand out to anybody? Most of you were here. Who, who was not here 10 years ago, Christmas 2011? Or not, not born, I guess I should say. You don't remember Christmas 2011. By here, by here I don't mean Anacortes. <laughs> Who was not actually born yet Christmas 2011? I know most of the kids are downstairs. You were not. Okay. Ten years ago, Christmas 2011. Hmm. How about Christmas 2001? Anyone? Everyone remembers that. Who was not here? Christmas 2001, not living at the time. Okay. Well, one thing maybe to remember Christmas 2001 is it was the Christmas after, first Christmas after 9-11. Very somber. It was a sad time. Christmas 1991. You notice I'm going back in 10-year increments. Do you remember that, Anthony? Or were you born in 1991? Okay, so you remember Christmas 1991. Christmas 1981. Who re now, who remembers Christmas 1981? Okay, I see hands. Where are we going with this? Next. Christmas 1971. Notice how my hand is still raised? Yes, I was here. Christmas 1961. Do you know that looks like the majority of us? Oh, I'm so comforted I'm in, good, I'm in great company. Christmas 1961. 
Okay. Well, before I do, before I stop there, let me ask you this. This time I'm going to fool you, go back 20 years from that. Christmas 1941. Was anyone alive in Christmas 1941? I see Dennis, I see Elizabeth. I see Betty, I see, uh, and Bud, and I see the Angers raising their hands. I hope you don't mind me calling that out. I see uh, Jim, Jim Johnson, and did I see, uh, yes, yes, I see you too. Well, I want to thank those of you who are here today who either were living Christmas 1941, uh, or perhaps were born before then. My own mother was born in 1936, so she was five at the time. Let me show you something in terms of a history lesson, if you don't mind. If we could bring a picture up. Now, this is where a little bit of the history lesson begins. I want you to just take a look at that picture, see if you can identify the man speaking. That is Franklin Roosevelt. And if you look closely behind him, there's also someone standing there who was quite well known. Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of England. Three weeks before this picture was taken, December 7, 1941, most of you know or have read about what happened. The Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, dis disrupted the peace of what was later called a sleeping giant. They had awoken a sleeping giant, they said, about the United States. Very peaceful Sunday morning, December 7th, 1941. Tragedy. Peace was destroyed. But three weeks later, in secret, Winston Churchill came across the Atlantic Ocean, and on Christmas Eve, 1941, when this picture was taken, the president and Winston Churchill spoke to about 20,000 people gathered on the South Lawn of the White House for the lighting of the White House or White House Community Christmas tree. And you can actually listen to that entire radio broadcast on the internet. Yes, history geeks like myself, did, I did do that yesterday because I wanted to hear it. And they both gave some very interesting uh, memorable speeches, very short. At the time this picture was taken, the wall around the White House had been raised from three feet high, yes, three feet high, to six feet high, two years before, because of the war clouds, as they called them, in Europe. Things were bubbling up. There was a lot of disruption in the world in 1940. So in a sense, they were prepared. But of all the things that Franklin Roosevelt and Winston Churchill said that night, one of the most memorable was this quote, and that's the next slide. And I will not do a Franklin Roosevelt accent for you. It, he was very New York, but this is what he said. Our strongest weapon in this war, and remember, before I read this, let me just say this. Usually when we read history, like a, a, one of my favorite authors always says, uh, David McCullough, who writes a lot of history, we often read history thinking that the people we're reading about knew how it would turn out. 
that they knew what we know now. But remember that when these words were spoken, no one knew what would happen in the next four years and that it would take four years of an insurmountable, at times, struggle to win this war. These were his words. Our strongest weapon in this war is that conviction of the dignity and brotherhood of man which Christmas Day signifies more than any other day or any other symbol. And I would not be one to correct a president of the United States, but I would maybe make a slight change in what he said there. Christmas Day does not simply signify the dignity and brotherhood of man. It is the source of dignity and the source of our brotherhood. Well, let's get into a bit of a discussion about peace today, keeping that in mind. So see, humans know, Roosevelt and Churchill knew at the time, that the absence of peace does not feel normal. There is something very abnormal about disruption, fighting, animosity in family relationships, in communities, in cities, in nations, and among nations. Peace is that long-for, desired state of things, often elusive. Why does it elude us? Why does it ebb and flow if everybody wants it? Why is it so hard to envision peace in the worst of times? Well, more than likely, I think it's because we've misunderstood the starting place for peace, or rather chosen not to listen to the author of peace to the one who is peace himself. Because above all, we're going to read, go through many scriptures today, peace is a person. Peace is not a political achievement. And one of the other important things that FDR said in that speech was that while they prepared for war, the preparation each person must make is in their own heart encourage you to read that very short speech. Well, let's talk for a moment about the word peace. Just a few words about peace, okay? In Hebrew, in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, anyone want to take a guess at the word for peace? Shalom. Shalom is the word for peace. It's a word used for greeting even today among Jewish brothers and sisters. Then when you come to the New Testament, there's a different word because the New Testament was written in Greek. That word is erene, erene. And erene really meant more of a political peace, more of a cessation of war in ancient Greek. But when Paul and the followers of Jesus started using that word in the New Testament in their letters and in the Gospels, they really assumed the meaning of the word from the Hebrew Bible. Peace, well-being, and a desired state of things between God and man, which is what the Old Testament talks about and promises. Now, in English, one of my favorite dictionaries, I probably talk about it every time I'm up here, Noah Webster's Original Dictionary, 1828, I don't think we have anyone here who remembers the Christmas of 1828, but if so, I would love to see you after. (laughs) Noah said this, Noah Webster, 
Free, peace is freedom from agitation or disturbance by the passions, as from fear, terror, anger, anxiety, or the like. Quietness of mind, tranquility, calmness, and get this last one, quiet of the conscience. And then, like Noah was apt to do, he quotes a Bible verse in the dictionary entry. Great peace have those who love your law, Psalm 119. That's the biblical peace we're talking about today that goes beyond peace among nations, but is the basis of true peace among nations. So let's have a little fun for just a moment. I did a little word search because I really wondered how many times in the Bible does the word peace appear? So you can begin guessing, but we're going to start in the Old Testament first. Anyone have any guess? Actually, let's, let's just take the whole book. The whole book. How many times the word peace occurs in the Bible? Any guess? Oh, one for every day, 365. That's not a bad guess, actually. I hear a thousand, but a thousand is a little too much. Well, peace occurs in the King James Bible, and I say that because that's the, uh, the concordance I have that was able to count them up, okay? Uh, it occurs 429 times in 400 verses. 429 times. Now, here's where it gets interesting. What book of the Old Testament do we think peace occurs in the most frequently? The Old Testament. Well, that's what I would think. It, it occurs 27 times in Psalms. But it occurs 31 times in Leviticus. Of all the books of the Old Testament, the word peace occurs in Leviticus the most frequently. Because, I think, the references are almost always to peace offerings that man has to give in order to create this relationship between himself and God. It also, so Leviticus 31 times, Isaiah 29 times, Psalm 27 times, the book of Numbers, also very unlikely, 25 times, mostly talking about the same peace offerings that the Leviticus mentions. So you begin to get the sense that there is a kind of peace that the Old Testament prophesies that is going to come, become a reality in the New Testament. And so this is how it turns out in the New Testament. Any guesses on the book of the New Testament that includes the word peace the most? I hear John. Well, it's Luke. It is one of the Gospels. Luke, 18 times. The next most frequent book, Romans, 11 times. Not surprising. Then the book of Mark and the book of Acts both have it eight times. The book of Ephesians, which is only five chapters, seven times. Now, as Becky and I were talking this morning or this week about this message, I asked her which book she thought in the New Testament included peace most frequently. And she said the book of Revelation was one of her guesses. Well, the book of Revelation only includes the word peace twice. 
I will let you hunt that out because uh, we could go a lot of places with this. Uh, one last note on words and their occurrence in the New Testament. Comparatively, the name Jesus occurs, someone said a thousand times for peace. Well, you're close, but with Jesus. Occurs 973 times in 935 verses in the New Testament alone. That doesn't tell you who the center of our faith is. <laughs> I encourage you to look each one of those up and read them. Well, let's talk for a moment. I want to transition for just a minute about this. Let's talk about the problem of peace stealers or peace disruptors, okay? And I have quite a few verses. We, we won't hang out very long on each one, but let's look at one first of all. Uh, and we will have a slide for this, Jeremiah 6, 14, in the Old Testament. They're gonna t this is going to tell us a little bit about peace stealers, and it reads, if we can bring that up, as follows. And I'm always a little slower because I try to do this the old-fashioned way with the, actual with the actual Bible in front of me. Talking about false prophets and false priests, Jeremiah says, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. He says that again in chapter 8. And then in chapter 28 of the same book of, of Jeremiah, he says this. He confronts this man named Hananiah. Sounds like a nice name. Hananiah was a prophet a fellow prophet during Jeremiah's time. The only problem with Hananiah was he said that the Lord was telling him that in two years, Jerusalem and Israel would be free from all of their oppressors, that God would break the yoke that these oppressors had put on Israel. Unfortunately, Jeremiah had to confront him because the Lord said to Jeremiah, I did not send Hananiah. As a matter of fact, you need to go tell Hananiah that in one year he will die because he has caused the people to trust a lie. There are many disruptors of peace in the world today. I mean, you can probably think of them. And let's, let's spend just a couple of minutes, could we? Help me out by, by identifying, you can just call these out, what disrupts your peace today? What is a peace disruptor for you? Could be a family relationship, could be something happening at work. A lot of people are disrupted about things happening in their jobs right now. Things happening in our nation. Anything come to mind? Distrust, stress, how about financial unrest too? Well, the good news I have to bring to you today is all of those songs we sing at Christmas time, like O Holy Night, O Little Town of Bethlehem, that give us that comfortable Christmas feeling and Sounds sometimes like a story or a fable that, is that really true or not? It is true. God 
The God we serve never ever expects us to deny the reality of the grit of human existence. The reality of war, the reality of broken families, the reality of anything I might come upon in my life. He never says, just pretend it doesn't exist and then I will give you peace. He doesn't say that. He prophesies in the Old Testament, someone, something is going to happen, someone is coming who will be himself your peace. As a matter of fact, he talks about in Isaiah 52, verse 7, he says this, because this is one of the things that counters the disruption of unwelcome news. One of the other things that greatly takes, steals our peace is unwelcome news, television, radio, phone calls, things that we hear. But as opposed to that, he says this in Isaiah 52, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings what? Good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. There's an indication there, don't you think, that for me to know inner peace, I have to know the one who truly is reigning on the throne of the earth. It's not anyone I see in the modern media. It's not anyone I see on TV. It's not the leader of any nation. It is our God who reigns. I guess what I'm trying to say about the grit of where we live our daily lives is this. I think it's so remarkable we need to put a stake in the ground on this fact that because God never asks us to deny the grit of human existence and the potential problems we can have walking through life every day, remember that our gospel, our good news, was forged on a hill of hate called Calvary. And it was born in a cemetery among dead people. That's where our Savior came bursting out from. And that is a fact of history. Something had to happen outside of you and me to bring peace, to, to fix this problem of sin between God and I. Well, what I'm getting to is this. Peace is a person. Peace is a person. And this is prophesied in the Old Testament time and time again. And I think I had Ashley create a lot of scripture slides that we may or may not get to all of them today, but important that we cover a couple of quick things. First of all, believe it or not, we can go to the book of Judges. Yes, I said the book of Judges. One of the most, it can be a very depressing book to read, but if you go to the sixth chapter of the book of Judges and start, well, start with verse 11. It's actually a bit of a comical story. But then go to Judges 6.22, you'll hear this. 
Gideon perceived that this was an angel of the Lord. There's a lot of comedy in this chapter, and that one is actually very funny because what had just happened was that the angel of the Lord had, in uh, answering Gideon's request to prove that, to give him a sign that Gideon really was going to be a warrior, the angel of the Lord had said, uh, bring an offering and put it on this rock. So Gideon did that. He put the, uh, the offering of flour cakes and a few other things on the rock, and the angel of the Lord called down fire from heaven and consumed the offering in front of his eyes. Then Gideon perceived that this was the angel of the Lord. I guess I would, if I were him too. And he said, Alas, Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, what did the Lord say to him? Peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon called, or then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, what? The Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. Peace is a person, a personal God. To this day, it stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abezrites. Going on further, in Isaiah 26, 3 to 4, we hear this. Let me just share a few of these with you. They're so encouraging. Write them down. Read them in detail uh, during the week. He says this. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. There's another way to translate that that goes like this. Hang confidently on the Lord forever, for in God the Lord is an everlasting rock. You get the picture? Hang on to that rock. Again prophesying, something better is coming. Something even better than that is coming. And this was the problem. If we can bring the scripture up from Isaiah chapter 59... There was a canyon, there is a canyon between me and God. And I can't build the bridge from my side. He had to build the bridge from his side. He had to think of some way to fix this. And what did he tell us in Isaiah 59? The Lord's hand is not short, so it can't save. His ear isn't dull, so it can't hear. But your iniquities, your sin, have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you, so he doesn't hear. But the beautiful part to that is that if you go further down chapter 59 of Isaiah, verse 15, he says this. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. That's the gap. What was he going to do? What were we to do? Well, we cannot do anything. Then his own arm brought salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put righteousness on as a breastplate 
and a helmet of salvation on his head. Something is going to happen to fix that chasm. You know, and that is often why if you read the book of Isaiah, it is called the gospel before the gospel, the good news before the good news. It's almost as if, and especially when you get to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, you know the verse well. He was wounded, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us, what? Peace. And with his wounds we are healed. So this is then fulfilled as you turn the page to the New Testament. What are some of the very first words spoken by angels to God's people after I know it's not that obvious, but the distance between the Old and the New Testament is 400 years. For 400 years, there was not a prophet. It seemed that the people of God thought God was silent. But then, something broke forth. Yeah, an angel appeared to the father of John the Baptist, to the mother of John the Baptist. But then one night, what happened in a shepherd field? You know the story. And some of the first words ever spoken after 400 years of silence were this. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased, or peace among those upon whom his favor rests. Peace is coming. And then Jesus spoke of it. He said this in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. And we could go on. There are more verses that talk about that. I encourage you to study that. In Romans, Paul says this, one of the, I think we said 11 times it appears in that book, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation, through whom the bridge was built. Ephesians 2, 13 and 16 talks about the wall being broken down and Jesus being our peace. We have been brought near by him. And finally, in Colossians 1.20, he says this, that he has made peace with what or how? By the blood of his cross. So see, something unchangeable and eternal had to happen in history to bring hope and to bring peace and joy and love and righteousness. Something outside of you and me had to happen. Well, I'm here to say and remind us, it happened, it started that Christmas night with the birth of our Savior. And it ended, well, it didn't end on the hill of Calvary, did it? It ended with these words, and on the third day, he rose again. 
Righteousness is a person. Peace is a person. Hope is a person. Joy is a person. Love is a person. One of the last things Jesus said when he was talking to his disciples the night before he died was, if anyone believes in me, hears my words and believes in me, John 14, 27, my Father and I will come to him and make our home with him. That is where peace begins. Lasting peace among us. Politicians and, and presidents who speak eloquently long for this, especially in times of war. And those who know the promises of Scripture know that the greatest tool fighting any war is the peace brought by Christmas. But the key thing to remember today is God himself must usher in this peace when like Gideon, we will meet him at an altar and he will tell us, I am peace. I am your peace. That's where we meet him. But it's his work it's not something I muster up within. He brings it as a gift. Father, for the peace of the cross that cost your son's life, thank you. Keep us mindful this Christmas what true peace is what it cost and how we can share it in our families, in our country, in this world, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ or have questions about having a relationship with Jesus, we would love to hear from you. Call us at 360-293-3729 or visit our website anytime. Have a great week, and remember, you are loved by us and by Jesus.